0: bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Father, for, for those of us who have graciously been saved from our sin through the blood of Jesus, Father, your grace does still amaze us. And Father, it amazes us more and more each day as we grow in our understanding that we are not worthy, never have been and never will be worthy of your love and the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf and, and so Father we we stand in awe of you Father your love your mercy your compassion your pursuit of lost sinners father your grace it it absolutely overwhelms us Father, when it doesn't, Lord, we stand in need of correction. Father, we need someone to tell us and remind us that You are the most important part of our lives. Father, when we begin to look to other things to find our joy and satisfaction, Lord, we need others to come alongside us and say, um, don't forget who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Father, as we come this time in our service, as we open up your word, Father, I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive from your word what it is you have for us here in this place today. Father, you know where we're at in each of our individual lives. Father, you know what our struggles are. You know what our hope is in this morning. You know what our fears are. Lord, you know uh, our failures. Lord, you know areas that we need to grow in our walk with you. Father, there's folks in this room who have never trusted in Christ and not received salvation, Father, you know that. You know their hearts and you know that they need to be, uh, to be saved. So, Father, we just ask you to do uh, with these next few minutes what you desire to do in our hearts and lives. Father, help us to be obedient, to respond to your word, Father, in a way that brings you honor and glory. Help us not to dismiss your word. Help us not to ignore it. But through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have your copy of God's word, I invite you to open up to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is where we will be. The Old Testament. Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 20, I think that's supposed to say, and that's my fault, 27. That's my fault, not chapter 25, chapter 27. Chapter 27 is where we'll be. Verses 5 and 6 of Proverbs chapter 27. I apologize for that. I want to tell you, as you find Proverbs chapter 27, um, just a brief, Brief instance that uh, happened um, in my life. Uh, uh, just been a while now, uh, and uh, I had a friend who one day sat down with me, and uh, and he graciously but very truthfully uh, pointed his finger into my life and showed an area of my life where I was not honoring the Lord. I wasn't walking with the Lord in this particular area of my life. I was sinning. and, and he sat down with me and, and, and touched that, touched that place in my life and exposed uh, helped expose that sin. And that was not a fun time. That wasn't an enjoyable moment that um, I had in that at least in that moment. Uh, sitting down with my friend, looking at me, telling me about some place in my life that I wasn't honoring the Lord, and he could see it, and he could tell it. Um, and and he he pointed it out. Now, some people would say that he was causing unnecessary pain in my life at that point. But the Bible says that he was protecting me from a more lasting pain. Some might say that my friend was sticking his nose into my business. But the Bible says that he had a responsibility as my brother in Christ to involve himself in my life. And that I had an obligation to allow him as my brother in Christ to speak truth into my life. Some might say that he was judging me instead of loving me. But the Bible says that he was loving me the way that God loves me. As we think about a healthy church member and what it means to be a healthy church member, uh, we've talked about a lot of different things, and we have a few more to go. But today, we want to look at the mark of a healthy church member that is this. A healthy church member seeks discipline. A healthy church member seeks discipline. And we'll talk in just a moment about what we mean by the word discipline. But before we do that, I want to go to this passage in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 27, just these two verses this morning, verses 5 and 6. Now, when we come to a book like Proverbs, it's a little different than some of the other books in the Bible. It's not a narrative where we would read a story of someone, like a story of Moses or of, or of um, Joshua, or maybe in the Gospels, a story of Jesus. It's not what we would consider like a teaching passage, not that we can't learn from it, but where. Uh, where like Paul is writing a letter to the Galatians or to the Colossians and he's teaching them and he he walks through this topic and then this topic and then this topic. This is what we call wisdom literature. So It's poetry, really. It's wisdom literature. And so uh, the Proverbs kind of jump from topic to topic to topic. And so we can read verses uh, 5 and 6, and then if you continued on to verse 7, 8, 9, 10, you would see different topics come up. And then later on in Proverbs, the same topic that he's, Talking of the writers talking about in verses five and six would show back up. We also find that the proverbs are written um, in, in because it's poetry. You see two lines in a verse um, the majority of the time, and and the second line often is either a parallel or 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 somehow uh, reflects back on the first line. And so we'll see that in these two verses. And then just as a general uh, rule, when it comes to poetry and wisdom literature like this we could say that proverbs are wise sayings for us to live by that's what proverbs are uh, they're not uh, sometimes it's, it's not a guaranteed thing in all of life sometimes the proverbs say hey if you act this way then this is this is generally what's going to happen we live in a fallen world and so that doesn't always happen but Generally, uh, these Proverbs, these things are ways that we would live our lives by. And then when we live this way, uh, certain uh, things happen in response. If we don't live this way, then other things happen. And so just a just a word about Proverbs in general. But then we come to these two verses here. And if you will follow along in your copy of God's word as I read verses five and six. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend profuse are the kisses of an enemy since it's only two verses let's just read that one more time better is open rebuke than hidden love faithful are the wounds of a friend profuse are the kisses of an enemy a healthy church member humbly seeks discipline from other members a healthy church member humbly seeks discipline from other members. Now, when we think about this word discipline, there's really two types of discipline. There's a formative type of discipline, and there's a corrective type of discipline. A formative type of discipline is where um, you're, you're being taught something. So in, 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 a, in our walk with the Lord, I open up my Bible, and I'm reading, and I'm receiving instruction about how I should live my life. That's formative discipline. Or if I'm sitting in a Sunday school class and the teacher is teaching and, and is instructing about uh, how to receive salvation or how to live out my, my walk with the Lord, that's formative uh, discipline. Corrected discipline is what happens when you do something wrong and you have to be corrected in that. So corrected discipline happens when you sin, when you sin and then someone brings that sin to your attention helps you understand the consequences of your actions, and then helps you turn from that sin. And Today I want our attention to be on that second type of discipline, that corrective type of discipline. That's the type of discipline that is taking place here in verses 5 and 6. Now you don't see the words discipline in these two verses, but we see the word discipline all throughout Scripture. We see it commanded in the New Testament. We see that God is a God who disciplines so I want to share with you uh, this morning uh, five truths about discipline from these couple of verses. The first truth is this. Biblical discipline exposes sin. Biblical discipline exposes sin. When my friend sat down with me that day, he was exposing sin in my life. Really, to put it more accurately, God was exposing sin in my life through my friend. God was using him as a tool in my life to expose the sin that was there. You see this word rebuke in verse 5. Your translation may have a, a slightly different word, but this word rebuke. What does that mean? It says better is open rebuke. When you rebuke someone, you point out sin in that person's life. That's what it means to rebuke. You say, you're doing this and that is wrong and you shouldn't be doing that. That's what it means to rebuke someone. It doesn't mean that you're rude to them. It doesn't mean that you scream and holler at them. It doesn't mean that you, um, that you bring unnecessary shame in their lives. Um, it is simply pointing out sin in their lives. Let me ask you this. Why would we need to be rebuked? Well, it's because that oftentimes in our lives we are blind to our own sin. We're, we're so sinful that we often don't know that we're sinning when we're sinning. At least sometimes not right up front. We're often blind to our own sin and we need someone to shine a light into our lives. To expose the darkness that is there. We see this happening throughout the Bible. We see discipline taking place between believers. Uh, Think about the the account in Galatians chapter 2 between Paul and Peter. If you're not familiar with that, I want to read that to you. Um, it says Paul is writing a letter to Galatians, and he recounts this time when Cephas came to Antioch. Paul says, I opposed him to his face. Now, Cephas is another, another name for Peter, and Peter was a Christian. Peter was a follower of Christ. He's not a false teacher, um, though his life was beginning to act like he was a false teacher, but he wasn't. He was, a, he was Paul's brother in Christ. But when he came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. When they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by the hypocrisy. So Paul, Paul helps us see that it wasn't just a difference of opinion, like Peter was doing things one way. Paul said, I think it's better to do them this way. And it was just a disagreement over opinions about how to do something. It was actually sin in Peter's life, Peter was beginning to have a wrong view of salvation, or at least he was acting like it. He was acting like our good works save us when really our good works don't save us. And it, his actions were actually leading people astray. That's sin. So when we think about rebuke, we're not saying we're not rebuking someone just because they they like a different color of something than we do. OK, that's not what we're talking We're talking about exposing actual sin in our lives, well, well, I think I think we should well, I think we should have this in the church, this color, and this in the church, that color. Well, I need mean to rebuke you, brother, because that's sin you think it should be this color. I, you see what I'm saying? Church is fight over that kind of stuff. Do you know that? We're not talking about that when it comes to rebuke. We're talking about sin in our lives. And, and so Peter was sinning. Now, what did Paul do? Did he say, "Well, I don't want to hurt his feelings, so I'm not going to say anything"? No. He exposed the sin. That passage goes on and says, Paul says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, they were acting in a way that wasn't becoming of a Christian. I said to Cephas, now because Cephas' sin, Peter's sin, was a public sin. He was visibly leading people astray. Paul confronted him publicly. He said, I said to Cephas before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? This is what Paul did in that moment. He rebuked Peter. He he put his finger on that place in his life where Peter was not honoring the Lord. He was shining a light into Peter's soul so that he could see that he was erring, that he was going astray in his walk with the Lord. That was a loving thing for Paul to do. We actually see Jesus rebuking his disciples a pretty good bit. I think about the time when uh, they're in the boat. You remember that? And the storm comes, and Jesus is there sleeping in the boat. And the disciples are so, so worried, and they're scared. Oh, no, the storm, we're going we're to take it in this water, and we're going to sink. And what are we going to do? Of course, the Son of God, the creator of heaven and earth, is laying there in the boat with them. Um, and he's not worried. He's asleep, actually. And they wake him up. Jesus, we're going to die. We're going to die. And, and Jesus, uh, he, he, he calms the storm. But then he turns to the disciples and he says, Oh, you of little faith. It was a rebuke. It was a rebuke in the disciples' lives. They were not exercising the faith that they should have exercised, which was sinful. And, and Jesus exposed that in their lives. Think about that time where, uh, where Jesus had asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And Peter, who often put his foot in his mouth, had a beautiful answer. One of the most beautiful things that Peter ever said, he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you are exactly right, Peter. And just a few moments later, because it seems that way from the way it's written in God's Word, Jesus said that the Son of Man, that Jesus, that he was going to be handed over to the rulers and authorities and he was going to be beaten and he was going to be killed. And Peter, who had just said something so wonderful looked at Jesus and said, no, that's not going to happen, Jesus. I'm not going to let that happen to you. And Jesus didn't say, I don't want to hurt his feelings, even though what he said is wrong. Jesus said, stop it, Satan. That's what he says. He calls him Satan. He calls Peter Satan. He says, your mind is not set on the things of God, but on the things of man. Jesus loved Peter enough to rebuke him to his face. And tell him that he was wrong. I think about the disciples again when they were arguing over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. You remember that? They're having this argument about who's going to be able to sit next to Jesus in heaven and, and this kind of thing. And who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus doesn't go, ah, they'll, they'll grow out of that. No, he loves them enough that he goes to them and he says, y'all don't understand what, what life is like in the kingdom of God. Those who serve are the ones who are the greatest, not the ones who sit around talking about how great they are. He rebuked them. He loved them enough to do that. He was exposing sin in our lives. We should want sin to be exposed in our lives because we hate it and we want to be rid of it in our lives. We who have trusted in Christ, it means we've understand, we understand the destructive nature of sin and we've been rescued from it through our faith in Jesus. And so when we're saved, God gives us the same attitude towards sin that he has. And we hate it. If you're here today and you think that you're a Christian, but you don't care about the fact that there's sin in your life that doesn't bother you, uh, it's very likely that you're not a Christian. I didn't say that you're perfect or not perfect. Even as Christians, we're not perfect. But see, someone who's trusted Christ has a different attitude towards the sin in their lives. And so when I sin, I hate it and I don't want it there. And so I want it to get gone as quick as possible. And if I'm blind to the sin, then a very great thing for a brother or sister in Christ to do is point that out in my life so that I can turn from that sin and repent of it as quickly as possible. And it's a gospel issue. Because the gospel is the good news that God has provided a way for sinners to be made holy. And discipline is a biblical tool for promoting holiness in our lives, and therefore a rejection of discipline is a rejection of the goal of the gospel, which is to make you and I holy. Now, when it says there in Proverbs, open rebuke, open rebuke, that doesn't necessarily mean that if You need to rebuke someone in their sin that you do that before everyone. There are times when that's appropriate, but open rebuke simply means that you're open to that person. Not that you post it on Facebook before you go and talk to them. Hey, I'm about to go talk to so-and-so and tell them that they've been sinning in this area. That's not what open rebuke means in this passage. It means that instead of keeping it from that person, that you're open and honest with that person. We see uh, Jesus lay out some guidelines for discipline in Matthew chapter 18. And he starts with this, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now, he goes along and gives some more instruction about what to do if that brother in Christ doesn't listen to you. But we start by going to that person face to face and helping expose that sin. Biblical discipline exposes sin, and that is a beautiful thing. It's always beautiful when sin is exposed, because if it's not exposed, then we can't deal with it. We may not know that it's there, so that we will take the necessary steps to deal with it. Now, there's a myth, and I'm going to share with you a few myths as we go along about discipline. And one is that, I've kind of mentioned this a a little bit as we've gone, is that, Discipline or pointing out sin in someone's life is not very loving. Well, that's, that's not a loving thing to do. And We live in a society that has just incredibly taken the, the word love and the idea of love and the truth about love and twisted it and made it into something that love is not supposed to be. And so we think often that it's not loving to cause pain in someone's life, but sometimes a loving thing to do is to cause some pain in someone's life. And so number two. Biblical discipline displays genuine love. Biblical discipline displays genuine love. Notice that it says in verse five. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Remember what we said about the Proverbs. When we look at that second line. It tells us some things about the first line. The first line in verse five is that open rebu- better is open rebuke. And second line than hidden love. Which means you take that word love, you put it back in the first line. It is a loving thing to rebuke someone. Now, take the opposite. If you should do that and you don't, then instead of acting in love towards that person, what is the opposite of love? Hatred. It's actually, it's actually hating someone if you don't help them get out of the sin that you clearly see that's in their lives, and apparently they're not seeing it. I think one of the problems when it comes to discipline is we have a wrong view of love. We think that the loving thing to do, oftentimes, is to not bring something up, or never to do anything that might cause some hurt in someone's life. But sometimes, sometimes, in order to find healing and restoration, you have to go through a little bit of pain. You have to, you have to, have to love someone enough to, in a way, hurt them. And we'll talk that about that again in just a moment. But I want you to think about this for a second. How does God love us? What does God's love look like for us? Does God ignore the sin that's in our lives? Does He say, oh, "I don't, I don't want to." I don't want to make them feel bad about themselves, so I'm not going to expose the sin that's in their lives. We would hopefully agree that God is love. The Bible says that. So we want to take our cues about what is true love from God. We don't want to invent our own definitions of love. God absolutely exposes sin in our lives. Think about the very first sin. Did God just walk out of the garden and leave them there? No. He goes and He looks for Adam. He says, where are you, Adam? Why are you hiding? What have you done? What is God doing? He's making Adam fess up to to the sin in his life. Well, that's not very loving. No, it was a beautiful thing for God to do. Because until Adam was willing to confess sin... He would live in the guilt of his sin. But when we, are, when we come to the point where we're willing to confess that, yes, I have done something wrong, now we're ready to receive God's forgiveness. There's another reason that I know that God is willing in his love to expose sin in our lives. Think about the cross. What do you think about when you think about the cross? When you think about Jesus suffering and dying on the cross? one of the first things that I think about is the fact that I'm a sinner. And that God hates sin. And that sin is, a, is an awful thing. When, when I look at the cross, when I consider what Jesus has done, it is first exposing the horrific nature of sin and how much God hates it. So that then we'll understand the beauty of the fact that God is saving us from That sin. But it is genuine love to expose sin. Here's what that means. If someone comes to me, like my friend did that day, and took the time to say, you're not honoring the Lord in this area of your life. It means that that friend was deeply loving me in that moment. It was Founded on genuine love. And we have to have that attitude towards it. If not, then when someone comes to me and points out sin in my life, then I'm going to say, well, you don't love me. You don't care about me. You're trying to make me feel bad about myself. No, that person is actually showing me incredible love. That person is showing me the same kind of love that God shows me. Myth, another myth is that discipline is easy. That discipline is easy. It's not. The fact that rebuke and discipline is loving doesn't mean that it's pain-free, as we said just a moment ago. Sometimes we, we, we think, about, um, think about things that are loving and say, well, it would never be loving to cause pain in someone's life. No, 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 no. Biblical discipline, number three, inflicts temporary pain. Notice verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Now, think about that for a moment. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You say, what kind of friend is that that would wound me? That's not a a good friend. I don't want a friend that would cause pain in my life. I want a friend that that makes me feel better about myself and encourages me and lifts me up. and, And Definitely not a friend that causes wounds, causes pain in my life. But there are some wounds in life that bring healing. Probably 15 years ago, I was in Lowe's with my dad, and we were building a house at that point, and uh, and a barn, and so we were in there getting wood. I feel like I spent a year of my life in Lowe's, Um, and uh, and we were loading up wood, and it was some rough, rough sawn lumber. I think it was like four by four posts, or maybe there were some two by, big two by twelves. I think that's what it was, some big two by twelves, and Anyways, we were we were picking those things up, and as I would kind of pick up the end, and I would slide, kind of quickly slide my hand down to get a better grip on it, well, I picked it up, and I slid my hand down, and you know what happened? Splinter. But I'm talking, this wasn't like your little splinter. This was a chunk of wood that went right across the palm of my hand. It stretched all the way across the palm of my hand. It was probably an eighth of an inch wide, about two to three inches long, it it was a piece of wood and it was in there and it was completely under the skin it was i couldn't i couldn't move my hand and i of course oh, oh and my dad said what what happened and um and i I said mm, and he said oh no i mean it kind of grossed him out and he said i'll never forget we dropped the piece of wood and he said follow me i trusted my dad and i said i said okay and it, it was hurting pretty good, you know. And, and so I followed him. I don't know where we were going. So we walked to the front of Lowe's, and we went to the section where you find razor blades to go in uh, box cutters. And I watched my dad pull a pack of razor blades off of the shelf. Now, I'm already hurting, and he he's not a doctor, just so you know. Um, Don't let him tell you that he is. Y'all know my dad. Um, He's not, okay? And so I'm like, what's going on? He opens up a pack of those razor blades. He says, let me have your hand. I said, okay. And so I I didn't look. though. I I just gave him my hand like that, and uh, I I didn't want to watch him. And he took that pack of of razor blades, and he cut my whole hand open, just sliced the whole thing open. There's no way to just pull that piece of wood out. It was so rough. And so he cut all the way down the side of my hand, I don't want to gross anybody out if you have a weak stomach. He laid that skin open, and he lifted that piece of wood out of my hand. And he laid that skin back down. We went to customer service, asked for some peroxide and some bandages, paid for the razor blades. And and it was amazing, though, because just that quick, a lot of the pain left. Now, it didn't feel good when he was cutting my hand open. I'm not going to lie. That didn't feel good. That hurt. But. That was the quickest way to get relief from this this injury in my life. You see, he he put a wound on me. He he cut my hand open. My dad cut my hand open on purpose. But that wound brought healing. It brought healing. Sometimes in life, wounds are a good thing. And so this passage says, faithful are the wounds of God. Of a friend. The pain is temporary compared to the lasting destruction of sin. If I see someone, a brother or sister in Christ, walking away from God in a certain area of their life, it is loving for me to come alongside, inflict a temporary wound, because I know the pain of that temporary wound is far less than the consequences of their sin if they continue to walk down. This road, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 in that passage, speaking of God is disciplining us as his children. And that passage says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Another myth, church is a judgment free zone where I can only receive affirmation. Church is a judgment-free zone where I go to only receive affirmation. That's not true. Number four, biblical discipline rejects deceptive compliments. Biblical discipline rejects deceptive compliments. Notice notice that parallel line. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So we have this comparison between a friend and an enemy. A friend, a faithful friend, will inflict temporary wounds that will later bring healing in your life an enemy just pours kisses on you just pours out compliments just pours out affirmation even though that person knows that you're headed down a path that leads to destruction that enemy says you're doing just you're doing a good job oh you're 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 great you're just doing a good job lavishes these kisses which in the temporary moment seem good but In the grand scheme of things, it's actually helping you keep walking down this path of sin that leads to destruction. And so biblical discipline rejects deceptive compliments. Kisses are not helpful in correcting sinful ways. Our two-year-old, she likes to give kisses. And... Y'all know that because I think Wednesday night, everybody that walked past the nursery, she stood there blowing kisses to everybody. She just, she's a, she just likes kisses, okay? And so as she comes up, she's got these fat lips. Y'all know Sadie. she got these fat lips. She come up and just pucker her lips out. She wants to give you a kiss. But she also does that when she's gotten in trouble. She really likes to give kisses men. And sometimes she'll give them because she thinks that that's going to get her out of discipline. And I went in their room the other night, and they were not going to sleep. And I've been been in there lots of times, and they weren't going to sleep. And, um, and I was getting on to them, and you're going to receive discipline. Before I could even get it out of my mouth, she was staying there. She wanted some kisses. She wanted some kisses. And so, and so in those moments when she's disobeying me, and if all I did was just kiss her and let her keep doing what she wanted to do, it's that genuine love. Am I helping her? If I praised her in that moment for what she's doing that's wrong, then really I'm deceiving her. That's why I I use the word deceptive uh, affirmation or deceptive compliments. I'm actually deceiving her into thinking that she's doing what's right when really she's doing what's wrong. And so I, I can't not kiss those little sweet lips, right? So she puckered up those lips. I... I gave her a kiss and I said, I still don't mean that you're not going to get in trouble <laughs> if you don't go to sleep. Um, but an enemy pours out the kisses when really a friend in that moment would inflict a wound so that there could be true healing. Church is not a judgment free zone where all you should expect to receive is affirmation or compliments for your lifestyle. Compliments aren't inherently bad or evil, but when they distract from dealing with sin, they actually leave a person in worse shape. Therefore, it's not good to surround ourselves with people who will just simply heap praise on us, but who are unwilling to offer godly rebuke in our lives when we need it. Final, final myth and final point. You say, wow, I know this sounds good, but and, and, inflicting wounds and, and pointing out sin and having someone do that in my life seems like a lot of work. Seems like a lot of effort. Well, it is. It is. got to take effort to do that. And so a myth would be that discipline is not worth it. Well, that sounds great, but it's just not worth the effort. But I would say no, and I think God's Word would say no. Biblical discipline number five is finally. Biblical discipline leads to lasting life. Biblical discipline leads to lasting life. Notice here that The writer of this proverb frames it in the context of a friend and an enemy. What is the goal of an enemy? To destroy you. If you have an enemy, the goal of the enemy is to destroy you. So even though this enemy is lavishing kisses, the end goal is destruction. Which means the goal of the wounds of a friend is the opposite of destruction, which is life. It's life. And so biblical discipline leads to lasting life. The goal of the enemy is to destroy and kill. The goal of this friend is to restore and give life. Anytime we put off sin, then we are better positioned to live the abundant life that Jesus promised in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus came to give us life and give it to us abundantly. The only way we experience that is if we're continually putting away the sin in our lives and replacing that with holiness through the power of the Holy Spirit. But we need help to do that. Remember, because sometimes we're blind to the sin. So God has graciously given us the gift of the church, and fellow church members who can help hold us accountable so that when they see us sinning and continuing to sin, they come alongside, lovingly rebuking us so that we'll turn from that sin and we can get back on the path of life. And so it is absolutely worth it. James chapter 5, verse 19 through 20. James says this, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. That day when my friend sat down with me and and pointed out this sin in my life. It wasn't pleasant. It was like that razor blade cutting open a wound, uh, making a wound. It hurt. But do you know what it led to? It led to me realizing my sin. It led to me repenting before God. It led to me seeking forgiveness from someone else who I had wronged. And the joy that filled my heart as a result of that, having my conscience cleared of guilt because of that, man, it was like life flowed back into me. Yes, it hurt in the moment, but the lasting result was life and joy, which is always the result when we turn from sin and look back to the cross and find forgiveness and begin walking in a way that honors God, brings joy and life into our lives. So is discipline difficult? Yes. Is it worth it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Life-giving wounds are far better than death-giving kisses. This issue of discipline is directly connected to the last mark of a healthy church that we learned about. We talked about being committed members a couple of weeks ago. That one mark of a healthy church member is to be committed. Well, what what is something that we're to be committed to in the church? We are to be committed to Watching over one another's souls. When you join a church, you are choosing to submit yourself to the watch care of the other members and to take on the responsibility of watching over their souls as well. That's part of what it means to be joined together into a church family. That when I join a church, I'm saying, I am, I am allowing you as my fellow church members to speak truth into my life. And sometimes that means a, an encouragement and a compliment, a praise. And sometimes that means a rebuke, a wound, a pointing out sin in my life. But I am opening my life to you. And at the same time, I am saying I'm going to take on that responsibility in your life as well. I'm going to love you enough that I'm going to be willing to do that for you that also means that if we're not seeking discipline from one another, if I'm not wanting you to come and point out sin in my life, then I'm not committed to the church as I should be. And at the same time, if I'm not taking time to lovingly rebuke you, then I'm also not being committed to the church as God's called me to be. And this mark of a healthy church member is actually related also to the next one that we're going to look at next week, which is a commitment to be growing as a disciple. The mark of a healthy church member being, uh, being to seek discipline. This is actually one of the ways that we grow in our walks with the Lord. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you say, I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, but it just feels like I'm not, I'm not progressing in my walk with the Lord like I should be. There are a lot of reasons why that may be the case. One of those reasons could be that you're not fostering healthy and deep relationships with other Christians and giving them the opportunity to speak truth into your life. You're not willing, or I'm not willing to say, hey, is there anything in my life that you see that that is not honoring the Lord? If we're not doing that, then we could probably expect to not be growing in our walk with the Lord the way that we should. One pastor said it this way It is discipline in the life of the congregation and the healthy church member that provides an atmosphere for growth and development. It leads to the rare, polished jewel of Christ likeness. Church, if we're going to be a healthy church, we have to be filled with healthy church members who seek discipline from fellow members. We must desire to receive these friendly wounds that lead to repentance and a deeper dependence upon Jesus Christ. Another writer said this, the mark of true godliness is an anxiety to have our faults pointed out and a thankfulness to those who undertake the self-denying office. If I'm honest with myself, and I'm speaking honestly about me, I often don't want someone to expose sin in my life. I don't seek that out. I don't ask others, where do you see sin in my life? Can you help point it out? I don't do that like I should. When was the last time, as that writer said, that you were anxious for someone to point out the sin in your life? We're often anxious for no one to find out. About the sin in our lives. By God's grace, though, our attitude toward our sin and people pointing that out can be changed as we submit to the Holy Spirit in our lives, where we go from not wanting anyone to know about my sin to actually wanting people to point out sin that they see in my life so that I can turn from it and be healed. Do you seek discipline? Do you seek that? Do you want other people to point out sin in your life and help you turn from it? Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ enough to take the time to gently and lovingly point out sin in their lives and then walk with them through the restoration process? A healthy church member seeks discipline. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we consider the words of this Proverbs here, Lord, these two verses. Father, my prayer for my life and for the life of our church family is that we would love enough, that we would love one another enough to desire for others to speak truth into our lives that we love one another enough to be willing to take the time to speak truth into others' lives. Father, help our church to be filled with faithful friends, not deceiving enemies. Father, remind us that You have called us to live a life of holiness and that one of the tools that You have given us To help us grow in holiness is our brothers and sisters in Christ coming alongside and lovingly and gently pointing out sin so that we can turn from it, be forgiven, and not live in that sin anymore. Father, help us to be a church that is marked by biblical discipline. Father, You tell us in Your Word The world will know that we are your disciples by the way that we love one another. Father, it's not even just good for us when we practice biblical discipline. Father, it's also good for the watching world. Because it points them, when they see us loving one another enough to help each other get out of sin. Father, that will attract them to your love. Father, so that they can find rescue from their sin. Father, to help us to take your words seriously and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.